Welcome back to episode... is it six or seven? I've lost track. Which is great. It means that we have started to get this thing totally rolling. Yep. My name is Kari, or Kari, and I'm not alone. There's a film encyclopedia laying somewhere in the corner. That is Henrik. Yeah, boy! (laughs) Alright, so the Flick Lab is generally about movies. Deal with it. Now that I think about it, if we would go with the niche, say that we would just be stuck with the forever just watching Michael Myers movies until the end of the world, or horror movies in general, that would really get boring and pigeonholing uh, very soon, right? Well, you can talk for yourself, because in my case, I guess the niche would be weird Belgian porn. Oh, well, okay. how many words can you... You have to be a... Well, maybe you could pull it off. I can grant you that. You could <laughs> talk in millions of ways about Belgian porn. What's with yeah. you and Belgian porn? You can pull it off once you are art house enough. <laughs> what are we talking about this time? Oh, we're talking about evil on two legs. He has come back. His name is Michael Myers. This show should be powered by a drink, but to be honest with you, I had no idea which drink is powering Halloween 4, the return of I would say Michael it's Myers. coffee, because oh. they, they make special note to brew it at the later end of the movie. Well, well, that's that's correct. So this means that I will definitely have to put some coffee dropping in between this episode somewhere. Other than that, there's some good old mineral water, nothing else of course. So Halloween 4 is the triumphant and long-awaited return of the masked killer Michael Myers. He actually died in Halloween 2, he burned to a crisp in the hospital, as did Mr. Sam Loomis, his doctor. So you might ask, how in the hell are they going to bring them back? Or actually, you would not be asking that because you probably have watched the movie already. Anyway, what are your feelings, Henrik, about bringing back Michael Myers yet again? I I think it's quite interesting to kind of uh, this whole bringing back Michael Myers. Because like you said, it's it's a hard stunt to kind of pull off since Michael has been dead, killed twice already. Once at the end of Halloween 2 and the second time when they made Halloween 3 and practically tried to kill the whole franchise. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if that was a conscious decision on Carpenter's part. No, all kidding aside, I think he really wanted to do some kind of an anthology series and continue that with Halloween 4. But unfortunately, Halloween 3 didn't do so well. It was a 2,500,000 budget, and it turned in the, in the box office something like a 6 million and a little, and a little bit on, on top of that. So 
it wasn't really a success as, as far as the producers and the studio were concerned. And of course, it was then the producer's idea, or they forced, forced it really. The producers wanted Michael Myers back. Mustafa Akkad said that Michael Myers must come back. Yeah, which really, which really paid off since Halloween 4, 4 end up, ended up having twice the budget of Halloween 3 and only made something like 3.7 million more. So the budget was 5 million? If I remember correctly, it was over 10 million. Nice. And how well, much did it make? Hall- Halloween 4. I mean, no, the budget was 5 million. You are absolutely correct. And the box office was 17.7 million. Hmm. Decent. It's starting to remind me of the modern day horror movies. So yeah, but not, yeah. yeah. But then again, Halloween, Halloween 3 was made with 2.5 million and pulled off 14 million. So, yeah. so you you kind of see how doubling the budget and counting on Michael Myers was maybe not the game changer that they were hoping for. Yeah, that could be. But th- that being said, these movies just kept on coming throughout the the rest of the 80s and the 90s. Uh, Dwight H. Little is the director of this movie. I have seen some of Dwight H. Little's movies for sure, but I can't think of any of them. Do you know some something? Of course you do. You're better than IMDb. So, searching Henrik, please tell me. I, I don't know about being better better at the IMDb, but yeah, I I have seen some of his later work. Like I I, I was a kid when. Broken Arrow was a huge thing, and John Travolta was still kind of a hunk, and Christian Slater still could actually LARP that he has some kind of a career. And then there was... Then I have seen the Wesley Snipes thriller made when he was still an epic action star and not yet had gotten his prison sentence for tax evasion. The murder, mu, murder at sixteen hundred. Oh, I noticed uh, where I know Dwight H. Little at least. Uh, it's Prison Break. He apparently, yeah, he directed five episodes for Prison Break. So that's definitely one and a few twenty-four episodes, and and apparently one episode for X Files and Freddy's Nightmares. So he's kind of all over the place. They are ma- making all, all of the classics. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, with little considerable, uh, considerable amount of his career is being made in TV and in classic mov- movies and ever-loved masterpieces like Tekken, <laughs> the film, <laughs> which, no. which kind of follows up with, you know, or, or you can in Tekken actually you can see kind of this the same attitude carried over from Halloween Four, where Halloween Four was a slasher movie without that much blood, and Tekken was a martial arts movie with not much with goodly cinematographed fighting. Yeah, the script is by Mac Aylroy. The scripts that they had at that point when he was brought on board, apparently, quote, didn't work 
and they were running out of time as there was a writer's strike coming. And Mr. McElroy wrote the script in 11 days, beating the writer's strike by just mere hours. And uh, McElroy is also a Halloween fan. He's Dwight Little's uh, writing partner and a good genre writer, at least according to Dwight Little. Yeah, and, and uh, according to his later works, which included such classics as, as Wrong Turn, Spawn, and John Cena's The Marine. Oh, poor, so, poor guy. Yeah, we, we are in good hands here. Was this McElroy's first script? Because I believe he said that, yeah, he said that he thought that, okay, this is how it's going to be, just like Halloween 4 every time, that whatever I write ends up on screen. But then he was kind of, yeah. he he learned on later that it's not exactly how it works. But with a tight production like Halloween 4, that probably helped it a lot happening. You are absolutely correct that this, this really was McElroy's first script. Okay, yeah. Great. So, McElroy, he saw Halloween 2 in his college years, and doing uh, H4, Halloween 4, was a dream come true. Uh, Paul Freeman was brought on to produce, and uh, apparently he has mostly experience in TV, so uh, according to Malik Akkad, the upside of that is that he runs a very tight, well-oiled machine, and that's easy to kind of see. Uh, the DOP this time is Peter Leon's Callister. So Dean Cundy was apparently not available anymore. So we have a new cinematographer called Peter Leon's Callister. Seems like he's not really horror. Horror isn't his craft or horror isn't his bread and butter. He apparently is known for famous action flicks for the most part the amazing spider-man or at least he was running the camera there and uh, he has been the camera for the rock starring sean connery but all in all yeah did you catch anything on this guy well i pretty much catch just the amazing spider-man and the green hornet film from 2011 and once again like with the rest of rest of the production crew here that was the point where i lost all my interest and was just you know preparing for the for the worst knowing that once again we are in good hands here (laughs) thankfully though you know in in colister's defense unlike McElroy and little colister did not work in tekken (laughs) <laughs> so, so if I would have to say something nice about the guy, <laughs> he did not work on Tekken. Okay. So was there like a specific, did you see some problems with his cinematography here? I actually quite like his cinematography here. There is, okay. for the most part, I would say it's passable. But then there are some scenes that I think are extremely well made. Add shot. They are. They are not. This. This is one of those movies that is not a treasure chest for great scenes. No. But there are those to be found, and there are there are some really great scenes in Halloween Four. 
There is. There are okay scenes. I wasn't really too impressed by the cinematography here. If I should say something at this point of the podcast, I I did like some of the scenes with the fog, and 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 there are some okay night scenes, but overall the lighting lacks the shadows of Dean Candy. There's almost nothing that is completely hidden, at least in the exterior shots. So that disappointed me. And generally, there are less shadows cast on the actors face. Yeah, it seems more like a TV movie for me. Sorry. Yeah, there is... Uh, you, are, you are right on that criticism. Like, I, I have to admit that when it comes to the shadows, they are, there is a noticeable lack of them. But at the same time, I guess that I enjoyed more some of the night scenes in this film. Like, for example, the outdoor shots of the schoolyard with the swings swinging slowly in the October night. Yeah. Or later on when Michael attacks the rednecks leaving leaving the town of Haddonfield and climbs on the car and attacks, you know, the people, the the rednecks on the truck and... I I think that that is there is really great atmosphere, for example, and this haunting kind of a almost supernatural feeling in that scene. Mm. So those kind of scenes are something that really stuck out stuck stuck out for me. Yeah, all in all, it looks too planned, too plain, unlike in the first. Or even the first three Halloween movies. It doesn't really play on the shadows. And uh, in general, there's a lack of hiding things. I can't remember anything specific that was totally hit out of the frame by just a mere lack of lack of light. Except in the scene where one of the cops is killed inside Meeker's house. So there are those very specific moments, but it's not like the whole movie is playing on that. So, uh, yeah, it's different. And the, the movie is shot in Utah, and for that we can blame Mr. Paul Freeman, the new producer, because he had shot some movies there previously, so he thought that it was a good idea to do it for Halloween 4 as well. To the guys, I can say that... Yeah, some of the houses look like they could be in, in Haddonfield. But all in all, I get a totally different vibe of Haddonfield in this movie. It doesn't feel at all like the same place. And I believe I thought so as well, even before I knew that they had shot this in Utah. Uh, any th- any thoughts on Utah? I never had that problem with the, with, with the houses or the general look of, well, Haddonfield. In this movie, every time I have seen Halloween 4, I have always been kind of ready to buy in to the idea that this is still Haddonfield and this is the same town. It's never distracted me that much. Okay. Dwight H. Little said that they wanted to avoid referencing H2 to avoid all the logic police questions like what happened to Loomis, etc. 
you could argue that they tried to avoid that too much. Uh, he wanted to capture the essence of the first movie and not get bogged down on Halloween 2's logical problems artistically. But then there is still the problem that even on the first times that I saw this movie, it's made painfully confusing that they don't explain completely what happened to Michael Myers or what happened to Sam Loomis. Yeah. Those were real problems. I can see Little's thought process here and wanting yeah. to uh, avoid kind of a painting yourself into the corner because trying to find any kind of a logical explanation on how Michael or Loomis could have actually survived the ending of Halloween 2 is an impossible task. The, kind of. Yeah, the hospital room exploding and Michael walking out of the room covered in flames and then collapsing and slowly burning on the hospital floor. It, it, it's, a scenario, it's a scenario that you no longer can explain away logically. Like there is whatever explanation you are trying to come up with, there's always going to be huge holes that are easy to point out and easy to pick. So in that sense, I I think that little was on the right track and made the right choice when he just brushed the whole thing under the carpet and just acknowledged that, yeah, it happened, but never went any deeper on the matter. But at the same time, I would believe that everyone watching this film, the first thing that comes into anyone's mind is, well, how did Michael and Loomis actually survive the ending of H2? In the original script, there was a lot more explanation given for what happened there. Uh, the original script was uh, beginning with a look on a hospital corridor, looking at a wall with the camera uh, zooming or moving in, panning in, and then the wall would explode and you'd see... Loomis flying through the wall close to the camera and maybe off the camera and you would know that Loomis survived the explosion in H2 and after that I believe he would walk to the part of the corridor where Michael was and the fireman would come to the scene and Loomis would just say, say that just let him burn let him burn or something to that effect and this kind of completes the part of the opening of, of the movie or the pre-opening which we never saw and then the movie goes from that to the starting titles and to the um, the fields that you see in the final movie. So that that's one thing and there's a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of small references to that. Yeah, that, also, would, that yeah. could be a thing that could work in the movie logic. But once again, surviving the explosion, explosion and flying through through a wall, basically anyone could point out that Loomis would not have survived that. The explosion itself was, as shown in H2, it was bad enough to actually kill off Michael and Loomis straight off the bat. Not to mention, about, mention the fact that had there been a blast wave that would have pushed Loomis through a solid hospital wall. Basically, that push would have 
caused internal injuries that would have killed off Loomis. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah, it's a noble attempt, and it's something that you can pull off playing that well, we are using the movie logic here, and this is a horror movie, so these are the logics we are using. But once again, anyone who would like to point out the illogicalities in in that happening would have had a really easy time doing it. Yeah, I understand totally that White Little wanted to avoid that because it, 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 there's nothing you can logically explain about that whole occurrence. So he just wanted to kind of avoid all of that and just get the movie going because there's so much baggage from the one and two that you just kind of have to get it going if you're at all if you're at all willing to do Halloween 4 then you have to do that so there's that but uh yeah so the movie shows the fields with the titles and after this it moves to a shot of kind of a is it an ambulance it's like a car it's a truck. Let's say it's an ambulance and there are two people who are, or three people who are going to pick up Michael Myers from the hospital and the, or the sanitarium and they're going to change his location to another one. And when uh, they come to the hospital or the sanitarium, they are taken with this guard through the corridors where there are all these crazy people and there's one scene that they actually shot but they didn't keep it in the movie just to keep the movie going a little bit uh, faster it's where the attendants the attendant one and attendant two as they are called they meet these other criminals or people who are crazy and uh, the lines go like this. The attendant too asks, they're all criminally insane? And the security guard replies, they're here, aren't they? And uh, he, then he gestures. Over there we got a man used to pick up hitchhikers, take their picture, bathe them, cut them up, bake them in a stew pot. And then the guard looks left and he continues. Left side we got a woman does everything in threes. Buried three husbands and three children. Next to her is an obstetrician. He murdered every ninth child he delivered. Then stole their bodies and kept them in a huge nursery in his basement. We even have a ten-year-old who had his family for Christmas dinner. Took the leftovers to school and handed them out as sandwiches to his friends. Yeah, that's... <laughs> if, if actually they shot it with those words... The script version that I have is a revised first draft, so maybe it's not what they shot, but yeah, so there was supposed to be an unquote there somewhere, but yeah, that it's not important to the story. No, but it kind of uh, gives some little weight, even though it's ex- the violence de- depicted on what you just read is kind of a fantastic but the idea that this one sanitarium would actually house all of these crazies next to each other that is quite fantastical as an idea but at the same time losing that scene kind of erupts something out of the extreme paranoia that the security guard exposition is spewing because 
there there is the line that you never get used to the faces. Yeah. And right at that moment, they are just walking some basic, normal-looking hobo past them. Yeah. With not with nothing special, and yet that somehow is a face that you never get used to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an okay scene, but it could have brought a little bit of a character to the place. Michael Myers is taken to the ambulance car, and there we get to the first scene of action already. So we get a shot inside the car, and there's this other male medic talking to the female medic. And his head is now hit against the ambulance car's wall by Michael Myers, who has just woken up from his long, long coma of 10 years or so. We get at this little bit of a Halloween 3 moment where he puts just his finger against his head and there's blood coming out of it. (laughs) Yeah, you can only kind of uh, wonder what, what is the strength of the bone structure in Michael Myers's arm when he can do that kind of a thing. I mean, God help me if I would try to push my finger through another person's skull, I would just break my joints in trying to do that stunt. Well, this is an easy answer. Super easy answer. His finger strength is as much or more as Conal Cochran's robots. <laughs> This is actually one of the shots that was shot later for the movie because somebody decided that it wasn't gory enough or punchy enough. So they added some gory scenes to add a little bit of blood into the movie. This is one of those shots. And the other one is when Michael Myers is ripping off the Earl character's head in the car at the very end. And he's ripping the head basically out of its sockets or ripping it so that there's blood all over the neck area. Yeah, the, those these more violent killers really stand out in this movie because yeah. o- otherwise the movie is trying to... I, I don't know which is, it, which is it, because the director has made the statement that they were just trying to pay homage to the original Halloween, which was really low on violence yep. and did not have these gore shots and has mentioned that Mo- Mustafa Akkad himself did not like blood at all in movies. Mm-hmm. So this would be, these two things would be the reasoning for the low violent violence in Halloween 4. But at the same time, you have to wonder if if the violence was toned down, down just so that they could get a PG rating for the film. Hmm. But yeah, these, these more violent kills really stand out against the rest of the film. And they, they are somewhat ironic, of course, seeing how John Carr Beecher, who they got to shoot all the, all the bloody kills later on and made the Friday the Friday the 13th, part 7, which had all the violence cut off. So they're, they're just, you know, go ahead and enjoy. Enjoy filming your violence while you still can, Peter. Is this still the case when we are when watching our glorious DVD and Blu-ray collections? 
or is there a version where the violence is shown? Because they were cut originally, but do do we see them now nowadays in these scenes? I actually don't know the answer to that because once again okay. I'm going off with my VHS tapes. So yeah, okay. I, I don't know the latest collector's edition of Halloween 4, but the best of my knowledge and based on the research I have done, no, this is the amount of violence you get in this movie. Okay. Yeah, and quite little direction with this film kind of reminds me of uh, what probably David Gordon Green is now trying to do. But yeah, we have already seen some still photos that tell that this movie is going to be much more violent than the original Halloween. Now I'm, now I'm talking about the Halloween 2018. But Dwight Little looks like his direction was more like a aching to Halloween 1978. Um, so props for him for that. Yeah, props for him also taking it to a point where there's a lot of the same shit that happened in Halloween 1. Like uh, Michael, Ma- yes. Michael exca- escapes custody and then he eats a dog and he yeah. it gets bullied at school. Then Michael kills a mechanic to steal steal his clothes and I Loomis know. hangs with the sheriff and sheriff's daughter is one of the victims. And fa- finally, Jamie runs down the street crying for help like Jamie Lee Curtis did in the original. So, I know. Yeah. There's even more nods to that effect in the script that I've read. For example, uh, Jamie's walking near the school on the sidewalk. And guess what? Michael Myers is driving the tow truck on the road and kind of following him when, when she's walking down the road. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> and also a, also a scene where they are now in the car on their way to the store to get the mask for Jamie. Michael is following them with the truck and he bumps into this car somehow or something and then Lindsay or whoever it was, this friend character of Rachel says, what a jerk or something like that. And then he does a U-turn, Michael Myers, and goes away a little bit, kind of stalking and looking at the car. <laughs> yeah, well, um, my, I, Michael's driving in this movie overall is 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 kind of on the weird levels. Yeah, because even in this cut that has been shown and uh, that was shot and is the final movie, there is that weird scene at the night time when Jamie sees the Smith Smith's Grove sanitarium ambulance outside of her house at night and the next day it's found crashed in the river or like four hour drive or more than four hour drive away from Haddonfield. So by 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 that logic Michael Myers wakes up at the ambulance then drives the ambulance all the way to Haddonfield to troll little Jamie, and then drives the ambulance to the to the river and crashes it there, and walks back to the fucking Haddonfield. <laughs> like, <laughs> what was the what was the thought process there, Michael? What was the plan? Can you tell me where 
Jamie sees the ambulance because I must have missed this big time. It's just before her stepsister comes to sit next to her and asks, what is it, trouble of sleeping again? And, and when, when, when they have that whole dialogue of, do you love me? Okay, yeah, gotcha. Well, okay, yeah, definitely the car must be there then, but maybe it's a different car. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be a different different car, but they do pull off that, well, you, you see this car now, turn, uh, turns her head, looks back, and the car is mysteriously gone, shot. Yeah. So uh, they were, at least they were playing on, you know, that creepy atmosphere already with the ambulance. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So in the screenplay revised first, which I read, there's no exposition scene in the elevator that we talked about earlier. There's more dialogue in the basement about Myers, and there's, of course, no fingering of the head because it was an added scene later on. The bus leaves with Myers, and the scene cuts directly to Carruthers' house, to the scene that you were just now talking about with the ambulance in the rain. And Jamie Lloyd is called Britain Lloyd, B-R-I-T-T-A-N, Britain Lloyd. And this was later changed to kind of give credit to Jamie Lee Curtis. Also, if we're going to jump a little bit here and there, the blinding part of Halloween 2 is not explained. In this script, they talk about it a little bit. Like Hoffman mentions that he's blind, so where can he go when they're inspecting the ambulance in the river that's a good point so and loomis insists hoffman to call smithscrow to check on myers's status loomis gets the satisfaction when hoffman calls the smithscrow and they tell that michael myers still hasn't arrived in fact but they say that that's probably nothing to worry about that, uh, that they are late in the schedule for two hours but uh, when the phone call ends and Loomis is sure that something is wrong. He smiles and gets out of the door and all the stuff that you see in the movie. This is something that I always kind of wondered about the gas station scene because it seems a little, it looks like some scenes were cut there. So in this uh, draft that I read, this is what it says. Loomis says, God damn you, Michael. And unquote. Then it says that Loomis raises the pistol and fires three rapid shots. Booming thunder in the diner's hollow. The windows shake. The shape bucks and falls from view behind the counter. That makes sense. Loomis waits for movement. Nothing. He waits. Still nothing. He lowers the gun and moves quickly toward the counter. Cautiously leans over and Michael is gone. So that makes much more sense than... Michael just disappearing like in the first Halloween. In this final version we see that Dr. Loomis shots about three times and then he just disappears from his view. But we also see in the final version that he goes over the counter to get a better look like where is Michael. So that suggests to me that they shot when Michael is actually falling down. And this is also what they talk about in the documentary. And there was another guy called Tom Morga. He was the original Michael Myers. He did, in fact, fall on the floor. For some reason, Dwight Little 
wanted some kind of reaction from Michael Myers when he's falling on the floor. So Tom Morgan thought it was kind of weird, but okay, he does it. He falls on the floor and uh, he also falls on the floor with some plates and makes a lot of movement. And in the dailies, when they checked that scene out, they didn't quite like it. So there was a lot of internal discussion and Tom Morga was fired. There was a lot of concern from Mustafa God. They felt really proprietary about Michael and to get it exactly right. So Tom Morga is still in the final film. He did the gas station Michael. He did the truck driving out of the gas station. He did the putting on the mask in the store. And uh, he was shot on the face with the CO2 at the later parts of the movie and he's also the shape that puts the shotgun uh, and Kelly Meeker through the wall. So that's his contributions to the movie. They interviewed three or four people. They wanted somebody who is six foot or bigger for whatever reason. This goes completely against the original Halloween, first of all, because what what was what was Nick Castle in the original? What was Dick Warlock in the second one? They were shorter. They were less than six foot. So this is kind of ridiculous. But the Mustafa God approved him. There was apparently also some kind of shoulder pads on George Wilbur to make him look more menacing, ath- athletic, big, or something like this. I suppose they wanted to go more to the more the route of Jason Voorhees to compete with all of these slashers that had been coming out between Halloween 3 and Halloween 4, this big six-year gap. What do you think? Well, I I can... First of all, I think it was a mistake to go for this more muscular Michael because one of the things, the main points in the first two movies with these slim not so tall actors was that everything in Michael was supposed to be as average as possible to highlight the point that Michael in himself could pretty much be anyone. Yes. Like, yeah, he, he wasn't supposed to be muscular or very athletic or a big, big guy to highlight the point that he he's not something that is physically special in that sense, but he's as close to the kind of a faceless everyman that you can get. And that is the one one of the directions that these later Halloween movies kind of a take, which I think is kind of a missing the point on Michael. Yeah, absolutely. But then again, there is kind of a to be seen some logic in in going with this attitude of making Michael more of a football player because mm-hmm. that you, you could make the argument that making him bigger may may seem like an easy way to make him more scarier because now he's a big, strong, muscular muscular guy. And there is some some threat automatically to be added to that kind of a body shape. Yeah, I just thought it's a bad idea if you're going to do something that 
resembles Halloween 1978 and maybe you want something that is a little bit <laughs> aching to the original but okay uh, maybe this was a producer decision and out of Little's hands yeah that, that is one of the kind of a missed points when it comes to Mustafa God one, yeah. wanting to stay as close to the original as possible that is one of the instances where one could make the argument that they did not completely understand the first two movies that they were so keen on playing a tribute to. Yeah, yeah, and it it feels like it's clear as day when you look at these movies right now that they should have gone this road. But yeah, I I wonder how it would have turned out if Halloween Four was made today with all of the backlash from the internet and all of the information that you have out there i think they would have taken another approach quite possibly yeah if you had have knowing the backlash i don't think they think that they still could have taken the right approach yep if if making halloween for today because in that case they would have just tried to play it as safe as possible and try to address as much of the backlash as possible and then you would have kind of a paint by numbers playing it safe horror movie and those usually tend not to work yeah a little excerpt from the script again at the gas station there's something different here Uh, quote, looking at Loomis in the diner's window, the sound of a wooden match being struck. The shape's hand draws out and drops the match toward a pool of gasoline. So, unquote. So, so, so this script here is much more descriptive and shows the, the shape doing much more things. So, unlike in the original Halloween 1978, we mostly just saw the effect afterwards of what was done off screen but here everything is laid out clear as day so the shape gets a match and blows the whole place up yeah halloween 4 is more action oriented from this especially from the shape it is more action oriented and the, it's showing the things that i just said for example when rachel and jamie are going at the end of the movie to the top of the Meeker building. Michael Myers is going through the staircase and actually shown to go past all the blockages, the chairs and garbage that they have thrown into the staircase to ward him off. And this is something that you would have never seen in a Carpenter version. For example, in Halloween 2, okay, it could be arguable that in Halloween 2 it's not exactly clear whether Michael Myers goes through the small window opening to follow Laurie Strode to the elevator at the end or is he going or is he taking like a side door somewhere but in my opinion he's going through the the small window part because he's uh, stepping on all of those pieces of glass that would not have been in front of the door as far as I have mapped that area in my head but so uh, in any case Mm, this movie shows a lot more of these kind of, um, I would say, awkward moments that, that and they are not needed and they take the mystique out of this character more. There again, since you talked about in the episode where we covered the first Halloween, 
you talked about how Michael Myers is more scarier if he's not this supernatural boogeyman and he's just kind of a everyday killer or or an everyday man who just happens to be sick from the head. Well, mm-hmm. the everyday man would have all these awkward moments going on when he would approach his victims. So yes, yes, yes. You are kind of getting your wish here. No, 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 no. But the point I was driving in the Halloween 1978 episode was that he, in my opinion, is a man in that movie. Maybe transitioning in the end. <laughs> but he is more of a man in the movie, nevertheless. And what makes him scary is because you don't see all those moments that would be kind of more of an everyday man's thing, getting past obstacles, struggling. Struggling is the word that we are probably looking for. Michael Myers does not struggle. He is just going from point A to B in Halloween 1 and 2, but in Halloween 4, he's going to A to B, but there's some obstacles on his way. Yeah, but then again, that that is basically an everyday man. He struggles with the obstacles in his path, and he does a ton of awkward shit. He, he sure does. And this would naturally bring us to the performance of Michael Myers, George Wilbur, mostly. It's going to be my argument right here that George Wilbur is the one who made Michael Myers fucking hilarious. If you look at all of his movements in this film, it looks like they didn't take a lot of takes. It's not just the mask, the goddamn mask. We're going to talk about the mask as well. But the movements of George Wilbur... If you look at him uh, turning in uh, the corridor at night when Jamie is all alone and Rachel is trying to locate her, trick or treating, his movement is awkward when he turns. It's not a confident turn. It's like his leg is kind of still looking for its position when he turns. That is bizarre. And uh, a second one that comes to mind right now is when they are on the top of the building and Michael is walking. His walking is never terrifying or confident. He is uh, struggling on the top of the building as much as Rachel and Jamie are in his walking. And when finally Rachel falls off the building and Jamie gets down, we see there's a shot, a specific shot at Michael when Rachel falls off and we hear when she lands. There's a specific shot right after that at Myers when he looks down and he looks like he's confused, like like a confused <laughs> dog. Like, what happened here? Where did you go? <laughs> Don't you want to play anymore <laughs> with Uncle Michael? <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah that, that is the everyday man once again raising his head. <laughs> Being completely lost on the situation and being awkward as fuck. But yeah, I don't know how much, how many shots they actually took or how many takes they took after Wilbur replaced Morga. But yeah, yeah I, I can see your argument here because as far as I understood, one of the main reasons why Wilbur was cast as Michael was that Akkad liked his walk. Yeah, he called it the Wilbur walk. Yeah. And let's lay out the last one that I can think of. 
at the very end when all of the people are shooting Michael Myers and so he falls into his grave but doesn't die. The movement when they are shooting at him it's absolutely hilarious. He's shaking there like okay I've had enough I'm going to fall down right now. <laughs> it's that kind of movement. He's like what's happening here? And there's actually an internet meme about this and some kind of breakdance music in the background. <laughs> so, yeah, at least yeah. it was funny. Yeah, the, the fi- fi- final confrontation or the <laughs> angry mob gunning down Michael, all in all is kind of a, a thing to behold. In all of its hilariousness, like like that would have been the kind of the last moment where you should have had actually at least some blood bags used and have some blood and viscera at the camera when they gun down Michael and it, it's the end of the goddamn film. But yeah, 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 it's it, it just Michael t- t- twitching awkwardly. <laughs> yeah, that that's paying it homage to the Halloween original Halloween once again. You have an angry mob shooting goddamn must be hundreds of shots at Michael and Michael twitching there and not blood inside because we are playing a homage. <laughs> yeah, one of the most well-known scenes out of the script that they never shot is when Rachel and Jamie, or Pretty, as it is in this script, they are walking in late afternoon and the sun prepares to set, shadows are long on the sidewalks, they each carry cones of ice cream. And then these quotes come. Uh, Pretty says, I'll get lots of candy. And Rachel replies, lots, but let mom go through it first. Sometimes people play mean tricks on kids. Uh, Pretty says, your mom's real nice, Rachel. And Rachel replies, she's your mom too. And pretty soon, who knows, maybe my parents will make it legal. Oh, so yeah, there, yeah, there are these kind of references. Like, apparently, well, in the script anyway, it's not, everything is not quite even finalized yet. So you might have to wonder how long they have had Jamie. But so, as the original script goes, it uh, definitely makes it absolutely clear that Laurie Strode and her husband have died in a car crash. This is what Loomis says when he comes to Sheriff Meeker's department. And he actually says that he's worried about Laurie Strode and uh, Laurie Strode needs to be protected. But then uh, Sheriff Meeker explains that uh, Laurie Strode actually died already. And then Sam Loomis asks if there's any relatives and so they get to know about Jamie or Pretty. Here are the original quotes. Uh, Meeker says, that's impossible. He's supposed to be an invalid. Loomis says, he's here, Sheriff. Meeker says, why? Loomis says, to kill Laurie Strode. Meeker says, Laurie Strode was killed along with her husband in a car crash. Loomis, startled. When? Meeker says, almost a year ago, left their only daughter an orphan. Loomis leans closer, intense. Loomis says, a daughter? Meeker says, Britain. She's with the foster family over on the west side of town. Can't think of the name. Carruthers, Darlene and Richard. Loomis says, how old is the child? And then it continues with the 
stuff that we already know in the movie. Okay. So we move on to the breakfast scene where Rachel hears from her mother that she cannot see Brady tonight because she has to baby shit, baby shit, babysit. There's some arguments and Jamie's sorry that this all is happening. It's really cute when Rachel goes to the room of Jamie and tells her that we can do trick-or-treating tonight and then Jamie says that can I have ice cream? Jamie asks if she can have double scoops and Rachel approves double scoops. It's incredibly cute. Yeah, I thought it was incredibly cute when Rachel is angry at her mom for having to babysit Jamie and badmouth about Jamie and Rachel's father actually sees Jamie coming nearby to the ear distance of Rachel just when Rachel is about to start badmouthing and actually does nothing at all to warn Rachel about the situation uh-huh. and let Jamie hear the whole thing. Like that, that is, you know, throwing your own daughter under the bus 101 right there. Uh-huh. That, it's really good that you pointed out because it seems that this father is shaping up to be, no pun intended, the biggest asshole of this movie. There's this, and then there is the part about the tie that he messes himself, and he's saying to, to the mother of the house that, look at this, where can I get another one? Like, uh, she is supposed to be the ass wiper for this guy in this household. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so double scoops it is so they get to the uh, discount mart to get the halloween costume for for jamie in the script that i read again uh, michael myers is stalking everybody in the discount mart so in the script the discount mart is actually huge the script describes the discount mart as a maze of aisles so the shape is stalking between the aisles all the time and finally gets the mask Okay, so both in the final film and the script that you have heard, nobody nobody pays pays any attention to the weird man with third degree burns all over his body. Yeah, or the terrible mask. Or the terrible mask, which they still sell in Haddonfield, because the classics never go out of style. Michael should have gotten the real mask. He got the wrong mask from the wrong store. <laughs> Maybe maybe that's how they can still sell the mask that Michael originally used in his original killing spree in Haddonfield. That they, they, they can't sell the exact same mask because that would be insensitive towards the victims of the killing spree. But they can sell this crappy B-take of that mask. Yeah, so... As it turns out, the original mask was actually in a tint of a pink color in the face, and the hair was white. So you have to wonder what the hell was going on in the Don Post, which actually did the nice mask for part three. So they can't get the Michael Myers mask right at all. So Ken Horn was the makeup technician, and Ken Horn had the first moment to see the actual finished masks out of the William Shatner mold when the movie was starting to begin shooting. And what he drew out of the package was masks that had this pink tint and white hair. So what they had to do was to paint the hair back to a brownish 
tint and also paint the face white as it should be. But what happened then is that the mask somehow lost all of its small features. So it looks really pale and one-dimensional. But we could also talk about the eyebrows, which are completely stupid. In the original movie, there are no eyebrows that are colored. The eyebrows are part of the white mask. So they are white. But in this movie, the mask has this surprise look all the time because of the brown eyebrows. Yeah, but not, not only to ask what the hell was going on with the masks, but what the hell was actually going on with the editing of this film? Because one infamous shot of those pink masks still managed to linger into the final yes. cut of the movie, which, is, which can be seen at the school scene when Michael throws Loomis through the door. And you know, even then, that's probably my favorite scene out of the movie. Because that mask, still with the pink tint and white hair, looks better than the mask <laughs> that they used for the rest. Ouch. Dutch fired. Yeah, because it still has those features, you know. You can see a little bit of those carves going around the cheeks and small details. That it, it looks, Yeah, it looks spookier. But okay, well, don't know how well it could go off with the white hair and stuff. So there was a lot of big arguments and stuntmen had an argument with the producer and finally a lot of chaos ensued. Ken Horn was fired. Ken Horn was rehired. Yeah, it's nice nice to know people from Fangoria magazine back at the <laughs> 80s when, the, when Fangoria still was kind of the biggest name of the horror scene. Yeah, at the time when print was able to bring down governments. Yeah. Good luck trying to pull off that stunt today. Indeed. Donald Pleasance was, for little, probably the biggest incentive to get this movie going. Donald Pleasance is, yet again, Donald Pleasance. He's very... He's giving a lot of class and this high-quality acting to the movie. But that being said, there's a lot of good acting in this film. I have no problem with the main characters. I think they are... Everybody's doing a good job, especially Ben Meeker character... Is really spot on and a great replacement for Surf Bracket. Yeah, and that, on, on the same note, you can't be a horror fan and not appreciate Danielle, Danielle Harris in her role as Jamie in this movie. Yeah, she she is really good in this film. I have to get it to her. Hat tip. I'm applauding. Yeah, she does say, a great say, job. Say She's here, very convinced. Here. Yeah. Surprising. What? Well, I have to say that one of the best performances given by child actor. Yes, that I have seen. Yes. That I have seen, also. You have to wonder if George Wilbur and company were actually scaring her so much that they got the genuine, genuine feelings out of her. Well, this actually happened with the closet scene in the beginning of the film when Jamie, poor Jamie was put into the closet all by herself. And those tears that you see in the movie, they should be in the uh, real tears and the real fear of the actor. Yeah, I heard the same thing. But at the same time, as far as I know, the whole film crew and Wilbur went to great lengths to not scare, yes. scare Daniel when making this movie and really 
took the effort to show her how the makeup is done and how the stunts are done. And Wilbur repeatedly removed his masks between yes. the days, takes to show her that this is just movie and they are just having jokey jokes in front of a camera. Yeah, yeah, good job. Seems like a nice guy, just like uh, Dick Warlock. He was taking a really good care of all the actors as well. Yeah. As far as I have received the information. So uh, Jamie and Rachel go trick-or-treating. And at one point they go to uh, the house of Sheriff Meager, the Meager's house. Rachel and Jamie cross the street and come upon another group of small group of uh, trick-or-treaters. Among them is Kyle from uh, Jamie's grade school. And there's this dialogue that's, that goes like this. Kyle says to Pretty or Jamie, Wow, that clown costume is really cool! With this nice, nice helium voice. And Jamie says, thanks. And Kyle responds something that is not in the final product as far as I know. Maybe it's lowered so down that you cannot hear it. Maybe it's there, I don't know. But Kyle says, I'm sorry about today. I didn't mean it. This is referring when Jamie was spooked in the school and they were saying that Jamie is an orphan, Jamie is an orphan. It's the same Kyle guy. Yeah, I never quite understood the effectiveness of the stupid-ass clown costume on the school bullies who immediately like Jamie now that she's wearing this clown costume. Yep. Like, what What the hell? Seriously, that's not how bullies work. Yeah. Kyle continues, yeah, Jamie continues, really? Kyle responds, yeah, I was sort of a jerk. Hey, you want to go with us? Sure. But also the script doesn't explain what happens in between when Jamie goes with the group and somehow loses the group and then Rachel and Jamie meet later on. So yeah, that's that's really odd. Perhaps it has something to do with the curfew. So all the other kids maybe were ordered to go back home. But uh, who knows? Yeah, that was my take on the situation yeah. in, in this film, because there is that one shot. Granted, it's not the group that Jamie is in that is shown, but there is a shot of the parents driving around the the town and, you know, dragging the kids back to the car and driving them back home as the curfew lands. So I always took that that is what happened to the group that Jamie was in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but like you said, never shown in the movie. Yeah, and at one point here, Meeker and Loomis go to the Carruthers' house to look for Jamie and Rachel and everyone. And Meeker and Loomis are now in the house, and Meeker says, um, Loomis says, he's been here. Meeker responds, how do you know? Loomis says, I can feel it. Meeker says, you're starting to spook me a little, dog. So they are leaving the whole killing of the dog Sunday out of this scene because in the script in fact it was already established when Michael first entered the Carruthers house when they left for, for trick-or-treating that Sunday was dead because the camera just showed us that the, the dog was dead and then Michael went upstairs and looked at all the pictures of Laurie Strode and so on so a little bit of a different order of happenings there there's one scene that is also completely out of the movie it's a scene where the parents are in the house of some rich guy who is probably he's involved in uh, selling of houses, realty. 
and uh, Darlene and Justin, these parents, are in the house. Darlene says, it's amazing what you've done with the old Myers place. Justin says, the realtor all but gave it away. Our contractor is adding two new additions, then I'll resell for five times what I paid. Richard says, good deal. Justin, good business. I'll teach you the secret someday. Richard, I can't wait. So yeah, they're talking about the Myers house very briefly there. During the curfew, Meeker and Loomis are outside with the police car and they're about to get into the car when they see four people with Myers masks around them. And uh, Loomis is about to shoot one of them and he confirms to Meeker that it's actually Michael Myers. And in the script, uh, Loomis says that I could have killed a child. What does that make me? A little bit of a more of a touch of psychology there. Yeah, at the same time, you have to kind of wonder about the mental state of that that group of pranksters. Because, you know, getting shot by the cops, the best practical joke ever. <laughs> well, actually, Loomis kind of did kill a child. He was about to kill a child, and practically he is the one who killed the child. This goes all the way back to Halloween 2 and Ben Tramer. Well, to Loomis's defense... It still was the cop car that killed Ben Tramer. Yeah, and Ben Tramer was real drunk. So. Yeah, he was real drunk. So <laughs> in that case, we, we could say that Booze killed Ben Tramer. Yeah, which caused all the flames. Yeah, but then again, you know, when, when it comes to Loomis killing chi- children, we have to, have to maybe at this point already take a note on the final scene of the film, which once again is... Loom is trying to kill a kid, and once again, the uptight local <laughs> sheriff comes in, comes in and, you know, prevents him from doing that and having any fun. Yeah, this I must mention. How interesting is that, that Mr. Sheriff Meeker is such a trooper that even after daughter has been brutally killed by this mass murderer, he still appears in the final scene and appears like nothing happened. Yeah. So props to him. So we have these drunken guys with shotguns on the loose in the whole town of Haddonfield. In the movie, of course, they shoot Ted Hollister. But uh, in the script, it's funny. I must mention this as well. Orin is the friend of Earl and he says, Shit, Earl. That's Ted Hollister's cocker spaniel. He loves that dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have to admit, I like it more the way the film does does it, where they a- accidentally shoot that Hollister himself. Because yeah. that, that is one of the scenes, it's kind of like the kid with the razor blade in his mouth in Halloween 2. It's one of those scenes where the movie actually makes a statement about some something in... With the kid, kid it was the kind of a everyday evil that still lurks underneath Haddonfield despite Michael Myers and showcases that Haddonfield had problems and had cycles of violence even if Michael Myers would never have come to Haddonfield so all the problems of Haddonfield are not caused by Michael Myers and here there is kind of a similar kind of a line or thought with these overly anxious rednecks who at the immediate sight their first response is to grab 
nearest gun they can get and turn to violence. And once again, that act of violence kind of uh, has the exactly the wrong effect because they end up shooting an innocent person. Yeah. But th- then again, I ha- really have to ask ask the movie that uh, is the movie really really trying to tell me that I can't trust a beer guzzling redneck with a gun? No. Like, like, no is way. that what you are trying to say here? What the hell? I mean, if you can't trust a redneck with a gun, who can you trust? Well, you would just create a lynch mob, so that's a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah. You don't have a police force, so yeah. I create a lynch mob with these rednecks. <laughs> and what happens five minutes later? <laughs> yeah, immediately. It's dead Hollister. <laughs> dead, 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 dead Hollister. Hollister. <laughs> Alcoholister. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So, um... One of the things that you said reminded me of yet, the, yet another change in this early script where actually Sheriff Meeker dies. Sheriff Meeker dies in the Meeker house. He fights Michael Myers when he finally appears in the house. He fights Michael Myers in the basement of the building. And Michael Myers wins this fight, hits him with something There's some kind of ammunition in the basement, I believe, and this causes a huge fire. This is the reason why Jamie and uh, Rachel have to go to the roof to escape the fire. So there was this whole nother, an added exciting element to the story. That would have been kind of a nice thing. Although if you're kind of trying to be in the Halloween mode of how much of action is included, then that would have been a little bit overboard. But in this case, I think it was removed because of budget constraints. Yeah, that's what I've heard also, that that having that fire would have caused too much. So they cut the fire element off, uh, out of the film, and instead just made it so that Michael chases them to the roof. Which I also think is quite a shame. Because even though it may have pushed the action orientation of the film overboard, I still kind of see that it would have been quite a great scene. Have them trying to evade Michael on the roof while the house is burning around them. Yeah. So instead of this, Meeker just leaves the house and yeah, I believe he appears at the end of the film only. Because he goes after the drunken guys who are shooting dead Hollisters and people. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the door is swinging a lot there because Loomis goes outside to f- find Michael somewhere else, and Meeker also goes. Yeah, ba- basically the whole barricade situation loses <laughs> loses its best effectiveness yes. because <laughs> o- over half of the <laughs> persons who really should take a stand against Michael end up leaving the house, leaving only that one sheriff with a shotgun. Yep. So then there is the school scene. Everything goes pretty much as it is in the draft script that I read, except for the fact that there's a nice little curiosity where Michael Myers is throwing the tables of a school classroom in this scene. And this is very much the same scene as is in Halloween H2O. And in that movie, McCarty is kind of a brain to pay homage 
or it's it's just <laughs> stealing this scene from this early draft Halloween 4. So that happens, and after that 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 moment, there's this scene where Rachel is giving some CO2 to the shape's face, and they escape from the school building. Then they meet the drunken people outside, and these uh, redneck drunkens take Rachel and Jamie to safety. Of course, there is this scene where Michael Myers takes control of the whole car. In the script that I read, it's also a little bit different. Like Michael Myers is actually on the road, just standing there and then getting crushed by the car, and then apparently getting crushed by the car kind of several times, then finally lands next to the grave and they shoot him. Then there's also a scene where when Jamie goes to Michael Myers's body or the 15 second second body that turns into a live human being again, she says that I forgive you Uncle Michael in a hushed voice. And after that it continues pretty much like the movie. Yeah, always loved that scene where Jamie takes Michael's hand because yeah. I know or you know when when I was doing my background work for this episode, I finally found the notorious statement from, from the makers of this film that that scene is some weird possession shit. Yeah. That happens. Yeah, I but, never thought about it like that. But when you think about it, it, it makes sense. That it, it does be... not make any fucking sense in any way. Well, it doesn't make sense in that sense, but it makes sense in the sense that it could be interpreted in that way. It, yeah, yeah. You know, but once again, you know, could be interpreted that way doesn't mean it should be interpreted that way, in my opinion. Yeah, I never did. I never yeah. did. Yeah, same here. Because, yeah. you know, be- before starting to make this episode or starting my background work for for this episode, I always saw that scene as this sweet, tender scene mm-hmm. between Jamie and Michael where Jamie, after losing basically all her relatives and her connection to the bloodline she herself is part of, tries to kind of a connect and understand this one part, this final part that actually is still connected to her own bloodline and tries to see some kind of a logic in her uncle. Mm-hmm. And there, there is this... I always saw there this element of, you know, small girl trying to find a connection and understand why her own uncle, who does not even know anything about her, is so incredibly violent towards her and seems to kind of have this hatred, even though, you know, she herself has never had any chance to do anything wrong towards her uncle. And what you said about the script, you know, her forgiving Michael at that scene, you know, I, I always saw great weight in that moment of this film. And, yeah. you, you know, now I hear that there is, it, it was men, meant as some kind of a goddamn possession scene. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah you, I, know, you know, making this podcast has ruined this scene. 
I'm part of this goddamn movie, movie for me for life. So thanks a lot for that. <laughs> but uh, at least they left it up for interpretation. So it could be this possession shit or it could be just a nice little tender moment. When I was watching this movie as a teenager, I remember just that it, it was nice. Just kind of Jamie just trying to understand the world around in this moment when getting the hand of Michael Myers she's kind of it's really nice because she's trying to kind of understand even the worst of the worst evil that she will encounter because if we will go really down the rabbit hole and and really kind of get psychological in this podcast it could show the high intellect of this character in the sense that maybe she understands that Michael Myers is just suffering from some kind of mental illness or, or from whatever druid shit, whatever you want to think of that as being. But she kind of tries to understand that this is just a person who probably is unable to... Nobody is in control of their lives in the sense that there is no free will. And if you apply that to Michael Myers then that is a really sweet moment where Jamie kind of understands that he, at the end of the day, cannot help being what he is. Yeah, and it's one of the more hopeful scenes of this franchise, in a sense that there Jamie still still tries to see kind of a hope and something better in a world that throughout the film has been quite chaotic and constantly violent around her. So she kind of, uh, with that forgiveness and that trying to reach and form connection, even after all these events that have happened to her during the film, she kind of uh, rises above most of the characters of the franchise. Like she does something that Loomis has always failed to do, in these films, and that is trying to see and form something still positive and uh, trying to find forgiveness towards Michael instead of just seeing him as this embodiment of evil and unnatural kind of a chaos, which is what Michael is to Loomis. There is, this may sound blasphemous at first, but there is a an okay moment in Halloween 5 which which could have been done a little bit differently just to comment on what you just said that this is the only moment that something like this has happened well there's also a moment in Halloween 5 where Sam Loomis is talking to Michael Myers saying that you don't really need this butcher knife and let's just end this right here and go home yeah I, I also like that scene. Yeah, okay. In, in Halloween 5. And um, remarkably, that is one of the scenes where Loomis actually works and acts like a psychiatrist. Yep. So after the hand scene, <laughs> they go back to the Carruthers' home. Or is it Ben Meeker's house? I think it's the Carruthers'. And Loomis says that in the script. He says that Michael Myers is in hell, where he belongs. I trust we can forget about him now. So there's just one added sentence here. Michael Myers is in hell, 
where he belongs. It's in the movie. And yeah. then we, of course, see the well-known and uh, quite legendary scene where Jamie is seen as the next killer in line. What do you think about this final twist? I absolutely love the final twist of this movie. That is kind of the that is the scene that is the first image that comes to my mind when I think about Halloween 4. Jamie yeah. covered in blood holding the scissors. I will say that as as well. That is well, it's a second scene that comes to mind when I think of this film. The first scene that w- would come to my mind when I think of this film is when Michael Myers is going up the steps and is uh, about to challenge Brady with a shotgun. That's that's the scene that I remember the the best from this movie. Yeah, but that that final scene that's a that's a real downer. Like that is a scene that really hits you in the stomach. Stomach at the end of the film. Oh, absolutely. Especially after you've seen the scene with Jamie and Michael, where Jamie's still having the kind of a being the moral high point of the movie and forgiving her uncle all the carnage. And and you know, from that you end up this this moment where finally Jamie loses the inner battle and follows her uncle's uncle's footsteps. Yeah, what makes it especially tragic is the fact that Daniel Harris has made a fantastic job in this film as as, as far as acting goes. And people really care about her at the end of the movie. The character is, I think it's really built out. Some people have said that they don't find any character in this movie that they could kind of that they could care about but I, I beg to differ she was giving such a performance that whatever other downsides there might be she's great and I can identify with her and when yeah, everything goes here. like 180 degrees at the end it's a shocking moment it works even though it- it's uh, it's you might ask yourself like where do we go from here and what does this all mean and yada 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 but it works as the closing of this film well, I see or used to see a huge amount of potential on mm-hmm. on this ending because it still does not count out the possibility that the next movie in the franchise could be still about Michael, you know, coming back and continuing his path of carnage. But at at the same time, this ending opens up the possibility that the next film could be about Jamie and about her yeah. following kind of this path. Yeah. Yeah, I think the intention was never to make Jamie like the next killer or, or something like that, but they were going to go more with that kind of setting in the Halloween 5, I believe, originally, but something happened there and Dwight Little also felt that he wasn't interested in doing Halloween 5 because he thought that everything worked in Halloween 4 as he intended and uh, he just wanted to just just leave it alone and leave it be. But uh, it's everyone's understanding that Halloween 5 was really rushed and they didn't follow this path and they took on something else entirely. Or I'm getting ahead of myself, but Halloween 5 was really like a 
there's not a lot of development going in any direction there. It's a, it's really lazy script. And it really shows in Halloween 5. Yeah, yeah, totally does. I, it still pisses me off to... It's so sad. It, yeah. It, it is, it is, it is extremely sad, the direction that Halloween 5 takes this whole thing. Yes, yes, yes. And... I want to talk about this in the next episode more clearly, but Halloween 4 is definitely... Halloween 4 didn't set the rails off the track yet. No, it's uh, it's decently okay. It has its problems, but uh, on the whole, it's it's still working and it's at least they are trying. But on Halloween 5, Halloween 5 is the shit show that breaks the entire series. And I will talk about that extensively. In the next episode. Yeah, Halloween 5 is not the worst this franchise has to offer. But I, I would say that Halloween 5 is the start of the downward spiral that we are going to witness with this franchise. Very much, very much. Ha- Halloween 4 is, is not, in my opinion, Halloween 4 is not on the same level as Halloween 1 and 2. No but way. Yeah, but it still is... It's a stable sequel. It it holds its ground and it works. And it does not do anything that would be so unforgivable that you would actually have to say that it somehow ruined or... Okay, I, I have to go on a rant here a little. As we have already talked about the mask... The mask is a huge part of the movie and uh, it wouldn't on its own break the movie if the movie would work in the other parts. But then there are a lot of problems with George Wilbur's performance that I just can't get over with. So combining that with the horrible mask just breaks the illusion of Michael Myers for me totally and makes this character more funny than anything else. It's not menacing. It's not scary. It's just not scary. Our main antagonist is not scary. Then we have problems with the cinematography where it's just kind of bland, pale, emotionless shit. Also, they keep repeating, as you said, some of these thematics, these themes from the original movies, which kind of feels like uh, they are not trying to offer anything original here. There are a lot of likable characters in Halloween 4, like Meeker, Rachel is okay, Jamie is fantastic, Donald Pleasant says Loomis is Loomis as always. But it's not scary, it doesn't have the same atmosphere. If I have to put Halloween 1, 2, 4, or even 3 against each other, Halloween 4 stands out as the movie that is totally different. And that's because the whole crew is also quite different. I, th- I think there's some uh, few people that may have remained, but essentially the whole Carpenter group is gone, and this is something else now. I applaud Dwight Little for trying to kind of continue the legacy and to kind of keep it alive. We can't fault Dwight Little completely on the problems of the movie. Uh, McElroy was also pushed with this 11-day window w- where he was able to do this script and uh, yeah, it's just it just doesn't work on the whole for me. It feels more like a repetition of the originals, and it just it's not 
it's not doing it as well. Yeah, I on my part am more forgiving to this movie. Apparently, even though I agree with you on all those points that you brought up, but to me still, it does not hurt the movie enough for me to turn against this one. And I, I, I even, since, since you brought up the, the scariness of this film, um, yeah, I, I could come with the argument that this is not necessarily scary. But I, I still feel that there is there is a lot of tension to find in this to be found in this film. And I I like some of the cinematography in this one quite a lot, even though I admit that for example the shadows are quite non-existent. But overall overall I I guess I just I just forgive this movie more than you do. Well, I also kind of, I am feeling a lot of forgiveness for this movie. But at the same time, I see its faults and I see why it's not working as well as the originals. And I just can't understand why they can't get some of these things right. Because, I mean, it's not, it's okay if you try to do something original. But then again, if you're trying to do the repetition in some ways of the original Halloween, then why the fuck... Would you not get somebody who would get the same kind of atmosphere with the cinematography? Why the fuck would you not get the mask right? Why the fuck would you not call Dick Warlock, hey, we need this original mask, this this is not really working with the Don Post mask that we had because they fucked it up? Things like that I just can't understand. Or just maybe trying to tie it a little bit better with the original Halloween 1 and 2. Maybe not with the explosion stuff at the hospital or anything, but... I don't know, it seems a little lazy in places. But I, I, I recognize, I understand all the rush that was involved in this movie and they tried to make the best out of it. Yeah, compared to 1 and 2, I would say even compared to Halloween, the season of The Witch, you, you can clearly say that they were more lazy on Halloween 4. But yeah. It, it, yeah, in my opinion, still not lazy enough. Still not lazy enough to end up really hurting the film for me. Yeah, I heard that there was a lot of problems with the crew. And you have to wonder what the hell is going on with this crew when one morning at 4 a.m. they are bringing the wrong mask to the set, this pink one, for this one scene. And, well, maybe they were just out of budget that they'd didn't feel like shooting reshooting that scene but but the fact that like you said it, it has a lot of good in it i recognize that and a movie that you can say you you like in many aspects even if you don't like the main antagonist in it that speaks volumes about the strengths of the movie yeah yeah i also appreciate the fact that with the ending Concerning Jamie, this is the one entry in franchise where you kind of could make the argument that Michael is not completely at wrong here. Like, if Michael would have succeeded in his mission in Halloween 4, 
the final mur- uh, attack, the final murder, and the losing of Jamie at the end of the film could have would have been avoided. And there, there is kind of this. I, I don't so, know. Can, can you say anti-hero aspect with Michael on in this one? But in a way, in here, I, I see Michael as kind of a, in the last case, accidentally protective force, not justifying his actions throughout the movie as they are still absolutely condemnable. But still, this is the one instance where Michael succeeding would have kind of a helped to tone down the cycle of violence that now begins with the ending of this film. And that is one of, one of, one of the kind of a thought games that I really like and I appreciate that the movie found a way to actually, or that the movie found this aspect of the story. It, it may be completely accidental from the you know, McElroy's and Little's part, maybe they didn't even realize what they were doing when they were shooting that final scene. And I might maybe might be reading too much to to simply to do that one scene. But still, you know, to me, it, it brings quite a lot more into this film and helps this film to stand stand on its own ground and from me earns quite a lot of respect and this way forgiveness towards the faults that you have brought up. Yeah, the reviews were quite mixed. Some people loved it, some people hated it. But like you said, at the end, the like the uh, final denouement of this movie, it, it works with the scissor sister. But where to continue from here, it's uh, anybody's guess. I can see how that how that can be problematic to put a script together as a continuation to this uh, in less than a year and all all the rest of it for the production. But uh, let's uh, move on to some other topics such as soundtrack. So Alan Howard, the guy from Halloween 2 and Halloween 3, is brought back. He was called and uh, he said yes and also checked with Carpenter if this would be okay and this is so something that I would totally expect from Carpenter. He just goes, uh, according to Howard, that do whatever you want, do your thing. So Alan Howard took this soundtrack here a little bit to a different uh, direction. It's more Alan Howard than the previous Halloween soundtracks. And you can hear it in uh, where he kind of has a more orchestral touch to the whole sound. I like some of the tracks in this movie, but um, like in Halloween H2O, I am not a big fan of the orchestral direction where this is going with this movie. I, on the other hand, am, am a big fan of the opening credits of this movie. You mean the sound or everything? The, the, the sound combined with the images. Yeah. Kind of these everyday scenes. You are of- right. O- Octoberish farmland with that orange tinted credits on, yeah. on the screen that seem to have this glow, and then there the uh, H- Howard's 
ambient sound behind behind all of it. It kind of uh, gives you this feeling of menace and something dark that is rising at the sun, sunset behind all these farmland images. Uh, it is a scene that is very much liked. And in fact, when I was 13, 14, 15, I made a bunch of these. Well, I did one completed Halloween movie of my own with my sisters. Just like a really like a total fan production with just one camera and nothing else. Um, I remember using Alan Howard's score, exactly this one where the movie begins in the beginning of my movie. So yeah. are we going to go through your movie as as part part of this podcast now that we are going through the <laughs> Halloween franchise? Are, are we going to this weird spin-off territory? If you want, if you want. <laughs> well, well, hey, I, I'm up to the game here. Mm. You know, how long is your movie? Uh, my movie, I I think it's about 50 minutes or something like that. Okay, yeah, well, you know, enough padding, enough me taking long pauses between <laughs> all, all, all of my works and constantly stammering on every fucking sentence. I say that we can actually take your 50-minute spin-off or fan film and turn it into a full episode here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suppose that would not be too interesting. But hey, then again, we do what we want on this podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. And we most likely end up doing a bunch of stupid shit, so why not? Why not? <laughs> you know, yeah. after all, we would be the only podcast that has the, then <laughs> thoroughly gone, th- gone through and reviewed that particular film. Nobody, uh, No one else can take the same credit. Yeah, Think I about could... the possibilities here. We can uh, monetize this whole shit. We could also kind of do this the same treatment for my Terminator 2X movie. <laughs> Which also I haven't seen. Oh, oh, that that is my my little gem. That's the only movie that we put some real effort to that in some sense. But uh, I, I thought that we could kind of cover this in conjunction with some episode of some, let's say, real movie. For example, if we cover Terminator 2, we can also cover Terminator 2X. Yeah, uh, as always, I'm <laughs> up to the challenge. It's it, it's completely up to you here. Yeah, it's fine. It, it's your shame that we are going to go through. Mm-hmm. So the, the movie's screening was successful. Um, Michael wasn't as menacing as expected, so they shot these additional footages that I already mentioned. Also, that I didn't mention earlier, this scene that is in the gas station when the mechanic was supposed to get a crowbar shoved down his throat. Uh, But they thought that it was a little bit weird, so they didn't do that, so they had the off-screen kill instead. But that scene where the mechanic gets the, the bar, that is an added scene as well. To be completely honest, uh, the movie would have been much more to the vein of Halloween 1978 if they would have just left these scenes out of it. Maybe the ending where the where he rips the head, that is okay because it's at the end of the movie. But uh, yeah, imagine if there was no information about what happened in the ambulance car. I think it would have been a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I, I would also say that 
it would have worked better. Because the scene after that, when Loomis arrives to the ambulance car that Michael has ditched and looks at this carnage and kind of the aftermath of the ambulance scene, it's it's still pretty effective scene on its own right. And you know what you tend to get then get with the ambulance scene in exchange is that one shot of Michael pushing his thumb through guy's forehead. So yeah, I, I would also make the argument that it could have worked better had they yeah. just had they not added that that attack on ambulance and they would have only shown Loomis arriving at the scene after the bloodbath bloodbath has already happened. Yeah, because I feel it a little bit cheapens the movie because they could have made it a little bit more of a classical horror story in the beginning and then kind of build up the tension and the violence in the end. But uh, this is the route that they chose. So then the, then the premiere took place. There's, there was a huge line down a sidewalk, according to Dwight Little. They thought it was for another movie, but um, yeah, they realized that it was actually for their movie and the crew was completely shocked. It was number one in box office for two weeks in a row. So commercially it was great and critically all over the map. And Dwight was approached for H5, but he indeed felt like he could leave this one alone. And I get it. It's exactly what Carpenter did. He went onto the sidelines. About the ambulance scene, now that we're talking about it, in this added scene, the one of the staff members says, one of the ambulance car staff members says this line. Now I still don't understand. And after this one, he gets the finger to the head. Now what I want you to do is take the, now I still don't understand, and complete the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I always got a thought uh, that it would be natural for him to say, now I still don't understand how the hell would Michael Myers survive the whole fire in Halloween 2 and then come back alive in Halloween 4. Or he could have said that now I still don't understand why they need to make another fucking sequel for this series. <laughs> or I still don't understand why every goddamn time nobody ever transports these dangerously de deranged mental patients at daytime. <laughs> because it's always some kind of a nightly storm when some lunatic is being transported from one asylum to the next. Yeah, it's so convenient. And God, they are doing it again in Halloween 2018. Yeah, they are. Now that you mentioned, yeah, it's it's nighttime when they finally yeah. see that the transportation yeah. bus has turned over. Yeah. Did you check out the link to the other podcast that I posted? It was so funny when, when this guy was breaking down all the parts of the Halloween 2018 trailer and saying where all of these parts have featured before in this series. Uh, I did check that one out. Uh, I didn't, I have to admit, listen to it completely. Uh, at some point, I, I just came to the conclusion that every single, or almost every single scene has been seen in some previous Halloween movie at some point. 
And yeah. at that point, I kind of had zoned out and hasn't yet listened listened that episode to the end. Well, it's a good point now to now that we have covered the Halloween for the movie quite well, I believe. There's one more thing that we have not covered, and this is the Dennis Etchison's script before the Alan B. McElroy script took place. So the Dennis Etchison's script is the one that at least at one point John Carpenter was about to direct. This is according to the documentaries that I've seen, the official documentaries. And the uh, Dennis Etchison script is completely different from what we see in the final product of Halloween 4. Uh, Dennis Etchison script centers around the characters from the original Halloween. Uh, these are Tommy and Lindsay. Basically, in a nutshell, it's a movie about the psychological effect that Michael Myers has had to the town of Haddonfield. And it's not even very clear from the script if Michael Myers is actually in Haddonfield during this movie, or if, it, if it's a copycat, or if they're just thinking they're seeing him, or it's some kind of a dream sequence, the whole movie, or whatnot. So Tommy and Lindsay are now in the convenient age of teenager age, and they are the main characters. The movie starts with Mrs. Wallace, the mother of Lindsay, and um, in the beginning of the script, uh, Mrs. Wallace and Mr. Wallace leave the apartment of somebody that they stayed with. They leave with the car, and they are on their way to home, but they got caught in a traffic jam. And Mrs. Wallace panics because over the radio she hears that there has been some murderings. And she sees that the ambulances are going to Mrs. Wallace's house. So she panics, gets out of the car, runs to her house, sees Lindsay there and um, gets past the reporters to see Lindsay in the house. But then there's some weird supernatural shit happening in this building where it seems like the building is kind of alive, kind of a breathing monstrosity of its own. And uh, some girl is on the stairs in the house, just sitting there and not answering anything to Mrs. Wallace's questions. And Mrs. Wallace then uh, later sees Lindsay, but Lindsay transforms and cuts in the middle kind of like if you probably if you think of a zipper then it's kind of Lindsay cuts in the middle and then it reveals the shape inside of Lindsay and uh, (laughs) then Mrs. Wallace wakes up and there's so many old characters brought back barely any new characters are present so there's Lonnie this bad boy from the original, Lonnie, Keith, Richie, these three guys. Then there is Loomis on tape. There's Robert Mundy reporting to you live. And uh, Lindsay, Tommy, and Mr. and Mrs. Wallace. A dog goes to Myers' house in one scene and bites two fingers from Myers. And the dog comes out alive, believe it or not. And at home, the dog starts spitting something out of his mouth. And those are the two fingers stuck in his throat. <laughs> and then Myers grows his fingers back on screen later on. Yep, yep. Then there's a Friday the 13th rolling in a drive-in. 
there are a bunch of teenagers in a driving theater and at one point there's the Friday 13 rolling. Jason goes on screen and then there is Michael playing with the actual film. He takes the film and cuts it. Michael comes in the frame in front of Jason. Basically the movie's whole final showdown happens in the drive-in where Michael Myers is trying to avoid everyone in the car watching these movies and somehow happens to be able to kill all of them while I believe it's Lonnie that is sleeping during when all of these people are killed. Then Lonnie wakes up, notices that everybody's killed. Later the police arrives at the scene. They shoot the shape and he gains some kind of a momentum, some kind of supernatural power from these bullets that get into his body. And because of that he grows to 12 feet and becomes some kind of a super Michael Myers. The whole driving theater burns to a crisp at the end. Yeah, there's a huge fire. Tommy and Lindsay escape the fire. Well, maybe I should leave it at that, not to spoil everything. What the script is trying to make us understand throughout is that the whole town is kind of in some some sort of a collective shock still after the 1978 events. And they want to ban Halloween... The parents of the kids go to the sheriff's office to say that, hey, you must ban Halloween, and there's some fighting about that, and kids go to buy jack-o'-lanterns to the next town because they're not available in Haddonfield. I found it quite interesting. I think it would be interesting, but uh, I can totally see why the producers would ask this because um, it's getting really psychological and it's it's not about... Michael Myers so much as it is about the psychological panic of uh, the people who live in Haddonfield. Basically with, you know, Michael growing his fingers back and all these protective measures that the town is taking against Michael Myers, it it kind of sounds like somebody has taken few notes <laughs> from Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yeah. Or somebody's trying to kill the whole Michael Myers storyline. Once again, because, you know, that's the one, the stunt that worked so well on the last time you tried (laughs) to pull it off. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a, uh, once again, like it was with Season of the Witch. And the possibility of having the discussion of how can agent witchcraft meet the computer age. Once again, I see that there's kind of a... This script could have been an interesting philosophical think piece. Or there could have been an interesting discussion to be had with this script. But then again, not reading the... Still having not read the script completely and given it a full thought, I have only kind of a quickly... I did. I did through. I, I'm not sure if the script still is strong enough to actually go into these lengths and to have a real satisfactory discussion about these elements and the element of t- trying to suppress a traumatic event 
and the damage you can do if you try to force it upon yourself and others. Yeah, like the the fault and the great part of this script is that it is actually taking Halloween 2 ending seriously and it looks like, at least in my opinion, it seems like Michael Myers is not really there and they are just dealing with this psychological after-effect in the town. So um, I can totally see how, why Akkad would not accept this. I can totally see why it would not be successful in the box office. And the dialogue in the script that I read is still a little bit ridiculous and too much of uh, exposition is done. For example, Lindsay is standing in her room and saying to her father that you don't understand me. And then a quote, but you understand, don't you, Tommy? You remember, even if I don't, unquote. But yeah, maybe in the final product, it would again be different with less exposition and awkward dialogue. Yeah, in this this would not work. But it was an interesting read, nonetheless. But as this script was scrapped, John Carpenter was out of the picture, and we have Dwight Little and the script of Alan B. McIlroy. Any quotes that you catch that were your favorites? I have a few. This is from Meager. That's impossible. Michael Myers is an invalid. Which sounds kind of funny because we all know what happened in Halloween too. So I always laughed my ass off as a teenager. There's also Jamie when she's lost on the streets. She says, Whoever you are, I have a big dog with me. He bites. Double scoops is also great. I, I would have to say that my favorite quotes are outside of Loom is just screaming no, 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 no the end of the <laughs> film would be the Reverend Jackson B. Sayer <laughs> we have completely you know, jumped over at this episode who's a great fucking beautiful river. has a bunch of great quotes throughout his brief appearance I ain't waiting for Judgment Day. And you are hunting him too. Yeah, too damn close. But yeah, that that is, you know, great character, great quotes, magnificent magnificent scene all together. That's a weird scene. It's quite directly from the script and it's not so much contributing anything to the main storyline. It's just some fun in between. Yeah, it kind of kind of a it's the moment where you can see the point where Loomis could end up with his obsession with Michael's evil and maybe even how the outside world at this point sees Loomis himself yes and like it's kind of like Loomis looking at a twisted mirror and it's also the only scene in the whole goddamn franchise where Loomis actually has a relaxing, happy moment. Mm-hmm. The one time you see Loomis smile and just, you know, just, you know relaxing and ha- having a shot of whiskey. Apart from Halloween 1978 when he's telling the kids off at the Myers house. God, uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot the Lonnie scene. Yeah, get your ass away from there. Okay, yeah, the second time in this franchise you see Loomis smile. <laughs> but even even, uh. even in Lonnie's scene, Loomis is not relaxed and not completely happy. Yep. Other quotes from Halloween 4. 132, 132, this is 134 over. 
I don't know if this this was my favorite quote from Halloween 4 when I was a teenager. Something stupid that kids like to laugh at. It's the cop that comes to the Meeker house after Meeker has arrived to his house. And the last but not the least from me is Rachel screaming, Leave us alone! God, leave us alone! Like that would help anything. Well, you can always try. Yeah, totally wasting her time. Yep. <laughs> so let's uh, wrap up Halloween 4. What do you think of Halloween 4 on the whole? Would you recommend Halloween 4? The return of Michael Myers. I would recommend the return of Michael Myers. Even with the, with its faults, even with quite bizarre editing mistakes that are visible in the final print. I I still think that it's still a strong enough movie to be part of this franchise. And it's still a movie that I find a lot of enjoyment out, out of and not in any kind of a weird, ironic way. There are still a lot of scenes I I like, which I think are still, which are quite goodly pulled off. And I I enjoy a lot of the all, all the aspects that tie into the last minutes of Halloween for with Jamie trying to connect with his uncle and then losing herself to the same madness that her uncle has, which I always kind of uh, has seen as a as a statement that you can't run away from your genetics and you can't escape the inevitable. So, yeah, I would recommend Halloween 4. Yeah, like said previously, I see a lot of problems with Halloween 4. It's far from perfect. McElroy had limited time to make the script. And White Little had a vision and he was trying to get to the mood of the original Halloween. I get that and I can respect that. But there's so many problems. There's a problem with the mask. There's a problem with the portrayal of the Michael Myers character. There's a problem with the cinematography, even though there are some moments that I do like in in the lighting aspect. But on the whole, it looks a little bit bland. I do like the characters. The, The characters are really well made. I have to say, I like Rachel, I like Jamie, I like uh, obviously some Loomis, I like Meeker, I even like Brady and uh, Kelly. Those those are really well built. You can really care about these characters. But this movie suffers from repeating some of the effective ways of cinema that was already done in Halloween, Halloween 1 and Halloween 2. It's not trying enough to be on its own. It has a lot of things going for it, like the ending. There's a lot of things that work. There's a lot of things that don't work. So I'm really split on this movie. Um, But on the whole, if you liked Halloween 1 and Halloween 2, at least the way I like them, and what I find valuable in these movies, then you will not like Halloween 4. At least, for the most part, you will not. You will enjoy Halloween 4 in some parts. And if you're a fan of Halloween series from Halloween 1, 2, or maybe 3, then you will anyway watch Halloween 4, and who am I to stop you? You will watch the entire franchise regardless of whatever people say. But as far as like a general movie goer, uh, no, I would not recommend Halloween Return of Michael Myers to general movie goers. 
the fans will watch it. Uh, would I recommend to myself Halloween for the return of Michael Myers? At the end of the day, I think the minuses go over the plus sides. So because there's a lack of inventiveness, uh, unlike even in Halloween 3, and with all the love I have in some aspects for this movie, I would still not recommend Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. Sorry. Yeah. The episode where you refuse to recommend perfectly solid horror movie simply because one guy's walk. Not we only. Have reached, we have reached that point here. <laughs> Not only. Should I repeat all the points that I just <laughs> said? <laughs> You you can try to repeat all the points, and the only point I will actually hear and take notice of is when you comment on the dude's walk. What can I say? I mean, yeah, we can we can end end this episode with you being a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> I realize totally the backlash that is going to probably come from me saying this, and I realize that I'm against the majority of people who have watch this movie but but just just no i'm sorry because they had a wonderful recipe they took it and they failed to deliver on the most important aspects to me in this franchise like cinematography and how to portray michael myers and and because they are repeating so many elements from the previous ones also maybe ironically but that is my final stance i cannot stomach to recommend a movie where they make a shitty mask they make a shitty performance in the antagonist and they repeat the plot points and i repeat myself yeah i mean in the end after all the crap talk here we still have to remember that we are we are adults and as adults we have to rec- uh, we do recognize that everybody is entitled to his or her own opinion and that right there, Carrie's the wrong opinion. <laughs> I feel a little bit bad about this. Is this is <laughs> myself? But since we got the system, recommend or not to recommend, give a thumb or give a toe, whichever. Sorry, no, <laughs> can't stomach this movie. When you put it against Halloween one and two, no, no, just no, just no. Fair enough. Everybody is entitled to do. Some crime against the visual arts. <laughs> Did you want to make some final comments about Donald Pleasance's makeup? Except that it kind of uh, weirdly changes throughout the movie and throughout the scenes from from having a burn scar on your face to having an egg on your face. <laughs> Which changes from egg to... Another makeup between the shots, between the takes. Yeah, like I said, weird editing mistakes, which are still visible on the final product. Like I said, weird problems with this Halloween 4 crew throughout. Yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of noble attempts with this movie. The first attempt of Loomis's burnt scar is not one of them. It's a complete fucking joke, actually. <laughs> yeah, was it uh, his girlfriend at the time that said, hey, it looks like you have an egg in your face? <laughs> yeah, L- Loomis. Uh, there was a, some magazine article that had some 
behind the scenes photos and presents girlfriend noticed one of those photos and pointed out to Donald that it looks like you have a you have an egg on your face and Donald also completely got scared by seeing that and demanded that this car will be changed. Yeah. But I, I, I'm certain that there is some intern at the props department that was really proud of his or her work with that scar. Yeah. Hopefully that person does not work on film anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> if it was Ken Horn from the makeup department, then... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then in that case, yeah, he does not work on film anymore. Yeah, I heard that this was his last movie and he quit after this. And well, I don't know if he did such a bad job here that he would not be taken into new projects after. But he decided that this, uh, that this is the time where I end my career. And this is the part where I started to end the podcast Thank you very much for joining us and uh, you can find us online on facebook.com slash the flick lab twitter.com slash flick lab and youtube the flick lab instagram the flick lab and as my friend Henrik would say you can find us on the internet and me from the cutter <laughs> oh and next week uh, Halloween 5 the Revenge of Michael Myers. Can't can't wait for that. Can't wait. I have way too much time to do research on this incredible film. I have way too many excuses to try to avoid re-seeing this incredible film. Uh, Well, hey, you know, even if this is one of our most beloved series, I believe... It's good that we are pushing the boundaries now that we are actually grown adults and seeing these movies for what they are and trying to get through this and then maybe try something more uh, qualified. Yeah, who knows? Maybe like with Season of the Witch, uh, visiting it now or seeing Halloween 5 now, maybe I have grown more softer to it. No. Throughout these years. Nah. You never know, you know. Maybe that ends up happening. Jamie's supernatural contact with his uncle. Or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that really does not end up happening. (laughs) We'll find out next week. Tune in then. Bye bye. Bye.